Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. You must listen to the open loops, a theme park for absurd beliefs and systems of integration between the mind and the creative spirit. Open loops. Ah, conscious mind. Going to bed, are you? It's alright. That just means your unconscious mind is still tuned in to that channel where your favorite late night talk show for the shamelessly fringe is starting now. I'm Greg Bornstein, and welcome to Open Loops, conversations that bend. Hello, everybody. Happy Monday. Hope you all had a wonderful, wonderful weekend. My name is Greg Bornstein. I am a cultural hypnotist. I am a curator of experience. I am a consciousness disruptor. And most importantly of all, you put all those things together, you get a looper. Yes, because what is an open loop exactly? Well, we'll get to that in just a minute. You see, my goal on this show is to bring on guests that challenge your existing belief systems with radically unique ideas designed to stimulate your unconscious mind so you can step into the highest version of yourself. And how do we do it? With all the topics that take us away from it all. That's right. Call it intellectual escapism, magic, hypnosis, spirituality, psychology, the paranormal, the supernatural, the conspiratorial, and of course, the greatest mysteries of all, who and what we really are. Because an open loop is just that. It's what I did before. I said, what is an open loop? And didn't finish the thought. Opening your mind up and not completing the thought like a cliffhanger, like an unopened treasure chest, like a proverbial dot, dot, dot. That is what life to me is all about. It's going down rabbit holes, having doors open where you didn't realize they were there before, and wanting to endlessly explore and follow your curiosity. Well, You know what? I'll tell you, hypnosis is one of those fields that opens many a loop for me. It's originally why I even started this show. And of course, there was a guy who 
I'd heard his name before in the hypnosis community, and there was another term for what he was doing. Yes, we're talking sanomentology today. Sanomentology, what does that mean? Dream architects, what is that all about? Something that combines ancient philosophy, psychology, theology, quantum physics. Seems a little weird, seems a little strange, and how can it actually make tangible results for people in the same way that I think hypnosis can? Martin Rothery joins me. He is the founder of Sanomentology, and he is going to describe a change modality. And when I say change modality, I mean a way of doing change work that at times sounds as if it, it has its roots in hypnosis, but it's a completely different thing. Yes, this guy... The reason I titled this episode the way I did is because, well, who are the real dream architects that we know of? People that design theme parks. That's right. They are building fantasy lands of our dreams. The Imagineers. Now, of course, you don't really have Imagineers at Universal Studio. I'm just assuming that calling all these people an Imagineer, even though I know that's a Disney trademark term. I'm sure it's a Disney trademark term. I'm sure I'm not even supposed to be using. Look, just go with it. Imagineers are the dream architects, and a sentimentologist is a dream architect for you, using your dream state that's not that far away from you. You don't have to go into a deep sleep trance state. No, no. Listen to what Martin says today, because this method if what he says is true, and he puts his money where his mouth is, that's what I that's what I really respect about this guy. I like this guy's confidence. I love his energy. I really think you're going to enjoy his take on the post-materialist conception of the mind and how something so abstract, in a way, can be grounded, A, in science, and B, in creating actually measurable change for people. Again, that's what's awesome. It's the measurable change factor. And as you're listening to this right now, if you feel like you've experienced any positive change for me, or you enjoy open loops and all, and you want more positive experiences, please do follow this on Apple Podcasts. And wherever you're able, rate the show, leave a review. It always helps. It's greatly appreciated. And now, I present to you, Sanomentology. Today, on Open Loops, we have Martin Rothery of Sanomentology, Beyond Hypnotherapy, Create the Life You Desire. Uh, we're going to get into all of this. We're going to get into what does it mean to be a sanimentologist. And uh, I, I'm very excited to delve into this because if anybody knows who listens to the show, I love hypnosis and I especially love the more, let's just say, the more experimental 
approaches to it, the more generative approaches, the more the less traditional hypnotherapeutic approaches, which I know Martin has specialized in and has this entire field. So we're we're going to delve in deep. Martin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, you're welcome, Greg. Good to be on there. Yeah. You know what? What do you 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 were just on a uh, you were just on a morning show, right? That's right. This morning on uh, on the UK's ITV, one of the biggest uh, daytime shows. Wow. Uh, I had a limited slot on there that was quite exciting. Yeah. What did uh, what do you think got you there? What were people intrigued by? It started off, uh, they, they took it on the entertainment side because at the moment we're in the UK uh, just coming out of lockdown, but there's doubt over whether people can go on holiday. Um, so I brought up with one of their producers the idea, well, well, we could simulate a holiday. And during the dream sessions that we do, there is no difference between fantasy and reality. And it, and it, and it triggered them. And I'd already worked with one of their other stars for a phobia. Yeah. So they'd heard of me. So it just went on from there, really. That's awesome. And you had so many people that you reached. Uh, you were telling me, what, 62 million people saw that appearance? Uh, between between the TV and the following newspaper articles that came out, the, the PR reach was 62 million. Yeah. Do you think that hypnotherapy... I, I'm curious, and we're and we are going to get into the specifics of your approach, but in terms of the way hypnosis is popularly brought up, especially when they have people on to do interviews about it. Uh, I, I've seen a lot more of it these days. I often see hypnotists vindicated when a local TV show does a special about, you know, uh, oh, yes, or a news segment that says, did you know there's a rush of people right now going to a hypnotherapist to cure smoking? That's right. And scientists are saying that it actually works, too. Almost as if it's this thing that, you know, yeah, you thought it was weird, but now it's accepted and it's OK. Yeah, it's only five to ten thousand years old. It, it, <laughs> right. Like you modern, really, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, what do you think of this sort of do you think? OK, here's what I'm wondering. Is there a rise in acceptability of these kinds of modalities of healing, do you think? Let's start with that question. Uh, absolutely. Um, there, there's more people doing it. And we can come to that in a moment. And, and one of the reasons why I steered away from the hypnotherapy branding. Yeah, I'm very curious. Um, but the, the people are starting to wake up and realize that the drug routes, the medical routes aren't working for a lot of cases. Uh, they, they're opening their, their minds a bit more to... The way things used to be, I suppose, because it is it is a practice. They they call it the second oldest uh, profession. Uh, we all know what the first is, um, <laughs> right? But it's people are starting to accept it more and more. And I think partly this is due as well to the influx of celebrities that are saying they've had it for this, they've had it for that. Uh, Matt Damon come uh, as openly said he had it to stop smoking. Uh, other other celebrities have said they've had it for their anxiety before going on a show or other things. So it's becoming more and more accepted yeah. in the general public. When you started getting into this, did you know it was going to get there? Were you just interested in these topics? How did you even come around to learning about uh, these mind therapies? I, I suffered myself. I, I suffered chronic pain for many, many years, uh, and that was my first routine. But my interest has been since I was about 10 years old in 
the law of attraction in ancient philosophy, in the Egyptians, the Persians, their healing arts. And I suppose it naturally led, I mean, 10 years ago, I would have turned around and said it was the biggest load of rubbish ever. Uh, the hypnosis side with the stage. But it naturally led to that, but then very, very rapidly led back out of it into what I do now. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm very interested. I, I, I feel similar to you in that I've had a lifelong interest in, um, since I was a kid, definitely the esoteric, um, but I didn't quite understand it at all. At times I was afraid of it started getting into it through magic and and conjuring and and faking it i guess um but but then it drew me back because then you have people like darren brown on the scene who are kind of toying with the idea that maybe this is all psychology maybe it's not maybe it's and using conjuring tricks often to say it's something more i.e hypnosis or nlp language patterns to influence change stuff like that um but that said once you start looking at it and and noticing oh wait this is making an impact on people uh that's really when for me at least the door opened to okay this isn't just trickery there's something going on here in the brain that um leads us to open up parts of ourselves that we didn't even know were there uh do you do you remember the moment for you that you actually were convinced that hypnosis is something legitimately worth pursuing sort of in a way when i was at school because i found i could influence people very easily even teachers to oh let's say i wasn't the best behavior at school <laughs> tell me more uh, about I that never, wait a minute how did i never that? got in trouble though uh, i always managed to talk my way out of it um I was never expelled. I was never suspended. I I had a fraction, maybe a couple of lunchtime detentions, nothing serious. And this was fighting. This was all sorts of things I got up to at school. Um, Can you mean an example? Realized, were, you, were you called into the office and they were going, Martin, how dare you punch this other student? How did you talk yourself out of something like that? Uh, oh, God, I haven't thought about this for years. Just being straight, all, all I can say, yes, I did do this, and I did this because of this, but because I'm, I'm telling the truth, it, there's, there's no reason for you to go any further. At the end of the day, <laughs> wow. I'm on, I, I was honourable. Um, I did it for this reason. What more can I say? And any punishment you give me now is going to be completely ineffective because I'm admitting my fault. Wow, just that simply. is a great tip right there for people. Yeah, just simply the 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 straightforward. Uh, I'd I'd, hes I'd hesitate to say the authoritarian approach, because how can a 11, 12 year old be authoritarian over a sort of fifty year old headmaster? But I would say it was along those lines. Wow, um, more so from a professional point of view. When I started looking into it, I I'm, I dabbled with the instant inductions, thinking there's no way. Yeah, and it just happened, and I was like, "Wow, this is actually something." There's more to this, and I need to know why and what it is. Yeah, what's going on? There is so a disconnect when that happens. Yeah, no, no, I I know what you mean. There is a there is a moment when 
you almost feel like there's something going on that you're not even, <laughs> that's what they tell you in the early trainings. They say, just, just practice an induction, just do it, go through the steps, say sleep at that moment and just see what happens. And it's not going to happen all the time, but you'll start to notice when it does happen. And when it does um, you're going to feel this confidence <laughs> and now, now I'm being hypnotic as I'm saying it, but no, you, they say like, you're going to feel this confidence that makes you believe that you can keep doing it. And for me, I also remember the moment where I was just kind of reading scripts and practicing and then people dropped in to something. Cause that's the form of hypnosis I was doing like a sleep deeper, deeper, and you're going even all that stuff. And there's a moment inside of you that you're going holy crap, what actually is happening here? Did I cause this? Are they doing this? What is going on? Um, sometimes I wonder what, were you able to bridge that in your path from, from feeling that you didn't really know what you said to make it happen versus no, no, no. I know I'm in full guidance of this. And because I did this, they're now going to this other place. I think there's two sides to that. My my wife and my daughter came out with some good. We were talking about it the other day uh, in light of the TV, uh, because as ever on Twitter there were the odd uh, trolls. Uh, nothing too bad. I expected a lot worse. <laughs> right. But we we were talking in light of that, and and one of the things that came up that both my wife and my daughter agreed with is they don't believe in half of what I say and do in the. Uh, I suppose got to call it, still call it the hypnosis side of things. But what they did say is every time they see me in action, even with themselves, it's almost as if I don't give them the choice. It doesn't matter whether they believe it or not. It's, it's almost like I exert my will to make them believe it and go into that state, even though it's them oh. doing it themselves. And it's done. And this comes nicely into the sonomentology side because it's done in a way that it just feels okay. And they are only using their own natural uh, ways to be. The whole hmm. point of sentimentology is we don't plant suggestions. We don't give them ideas. We allow their own minds to do that for them. And isn't that what the mind wants all the time anyway? Half of the issues that people have is because they're not paying attention. So we're giving yeah. the, the deeper mind um we could call it subconscious unconscious i will talk about that in a moment but we're giving it the permission to come forward and finally be heard i love this so much yeah oh. and because because it's done that way there's no resistance there's no i wouldn't even say the proverbial critical faculty comes online at any point because and this is what makes sanitology so rapid uh, I could have you experience what you think is something extremely real in two or three minutes with no sleep or trance or anything else, just you experiencing it because I'm giving your mind that permission and I'm not any danger to your mind. This, okay. Yeah, you've already blown my mind several times in this conversation. This is <laughs> wild because uh, I'm – and, of course, you know, we um, – we operate through different James Tripp when he was on my show, he talks about reality tunnels a lot, especially when he refers to hypnosis and, and hypnosis itself being a construct of reality under which you put hypnotic framework. So it all gets very meta and self, you know, self-reflecting and stuff like that. But I, as How you say, deep do you want this show to go? Because uh, I'm actually working with quantum mechanics at the moment. 
Oh my gosh. Do you want to go that far? Or do you want to keep it yeah. quite light? <laughs> no, no, I want to get, let's go deep. I mean, look, what I mean is, you know, you say that I'm going, oh, is he just doing like waking trance, you know, doing the light and heavy balloon test? Uh, oh, yeah, this arm is getting heavier. And then uh, you're, we don't do any of that. You don't do any of it. And you're able to somehow get people to, I mean, we talk. And I'm also thinking in terms of the traditional phenomenon, you know, because I'm going, oh, yeah eyes locked catalepsy hallucination um i save i save that for the gimmicks with the friends that say oh can you hypnotize me really do you want me to okay let's go that's i do not use that in therapy i do not train that uh that there is none of that needed it's not necessary for for what we do so what do you mean by dream then then the mind what do you mean by dream state okay so everyone's familiar with dreaming uh, everybody does it, whether they are aware, whether they remember or not. And for those that remember their dreams, they will know how real they actually are in the moment. We can instigate that without sending them to sleep. And this mm. has been done for millennia. This was um, the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Greeks, the Persians, the Aborigines, uh, the North American, uh, the Native Americans, all had forms of what they called sleep temples where the the priest if you want to call it that would set the scene for a person to go into the moment and then they would enter the temple go to sleep and dream themselves better from all sorts of maladies from physical healing emotional spiritual healing but they did sleep and the guy and their dreams were had we cut out that middleman there's no priest i'm no priest uh I, I all I do is I set the scene in the moment. So if we if I was working with you now, um, depending how deep the issue is, we can either let it go free flowing or we can direct it to deeper levels. But it would literally be a case of okay, uh, we're going to go into this state. Uh, we're we're going to go through a doorway in a moment. When we go through that doorway, your unconscious mind is going to have the freedom to create whatever it likes with the sole purpose of resolving whatever this issue is here today. So when you're ready, go through that door. Where are you now? And from mm. that moment, the unconscious mind creates it, but it creates it in its own reality. And this is that powerful that one of my trainees, when I did a, a demo live on stage, she was on a boat in a dream and she had to step off of the boat onto an iceberg to talk to a whale. Yeah, dreams are weird. Yeah. When yeah. she stepped onto her, onto this iceberg, her glasses physically steamed up in the room here, as wow. if she was in a cold place. Her body responded physiologically because it doesn't know the difference in once you're in this moment. And everybody I've ever taken through, I don't question clients, but when I train, when the trainees have been through this moment, I always say, "How real was that?" And they're like. It was real. It, I was there. There, there. there was no doubt about it. I felt everything. I experienced everything. I could feel the temperatures. I could feel my body was there. And this creates that reality so that when they have the experience at their programming level, they've had that experience. And therefore, whatever was experienced has resolved the issue. Holy crap. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is okay. You've opened so many doors. I don't even know how we talked about 
I feel like we never closed the loop on how you became a hypno, how you became a hypnotist, but who even cares because you're here now? Um, <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. My, my, my biggest reason, and I don't want to diss anybody who's good at what they do, but I'm sure the good therapists will actually agree with me. You could now, I don't know about America, but in the UK, I could go online and do a course for $29.99 and call myself a clinical hypnotherapist and work with clients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we get people that come and say, oh, I've already seen a hypnotherapist that didn't work. I'm like, I'm not surprised. Yeah. And, and this is why I moved away. You, I mean, we've rebranded since you saw the logo with Beyond Hypnotherapy. And now it's Sanamentology Dream Architects. Mm. Because I wanted the word hypnotherapy out of the picture as much as possible because of the negative connotations to it. Yeah. But you are, I mean, I'm trying to understand where or if trance even plays a role in this. Uh, okay, um, I can hopefully answer that if we go down those deeper levels. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so um, one of one of the things, and I, I'm just starting to put this into uh, into written words uh, for for a new sort of theoretical book that I'm putting together. But we look at the, as, as therapists, we look at the conscious mind and the subconscious or unconscious mind. And most therapies, if you're talking, talking therapies like CBT, you're working at the conscious level. Uh, hypnotherapy and the like, we're working at the subconscious level. But in my view, looking at just the conscious and the unconscious is like looking at the whole electromagnetic spectrum and looking at blue and yellow. Hmm. Forgetting the fact that there's all the gamma, all the x-rays, all the greens and reds and all the other colors in between. Mm. So I, I look more as the term of consciousness. And consciousness is much bigger than just the conscious and the unconscious. And it spans... When I say the word dimensions, I don't mean in the spiritual way, although the spiritual way does come into it. But I'm thinking more of the, the physical dimensions of time and space and this is where the newest stuff is going with it so the beauty about using the dream state is the dream is the bridge of communication across the whole of consciousness mm. it communicates at the lower levels of just physical matter right up to the highest levels of the universe itself so rather than just working with the conscious and the unconscious and doing a little bit of work and yeah, I'm feeling great going away. Mm, yeah, I do feel good, but there's still something not quite right. This is forming an agreement and a harmony in the communication across all of the levels, all of consciousness. Hmm. And depending on how far we need to go, we literally take people to those other dimensions. Uh, when I talk about dimensions, I'm talking about sort of the three, third dimension that we live in, height. Uh, length, breadth, width, uh, fourth dimension being time and matter, mm -hmm. and then the higher dimensions of the fifth and the sixth, where time and matter, time and space don't exist. Uh, and even Einstein had these sort of theories. Uh, I've been working with a quantum physicist on the science behind it to make sure there's nothing there that's. Uh, Let's just say it's been legitimized by scientists. Right. Say, yes, there's right. nothing there that is completely out of it. Because I, 
this was the other way of my thinking. Uh, we have religious people, we have scientists, we have people who go down the holistic route, and they all have their own ideas and say they're right. But I've always thought, no, the, they're all actually saying almost the same thing, and the answer is somewhere in the middle. Mm. Mm-hmm. So take your philosophy, your science, your theology, and your um, psychology and put them all together. And suddenly you've got a whole different range of answers that you could probably answer almost everything if you bridge those walls that yeah. society's put up between them. Interesting. So wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, I've left you in thought there, haven't I? I know, I know. You're, you're, you're looping me. And also, I know we so so okay. I know I'm 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 sitting in the the open loop of it and loving it. Um, trance. So then, where does so so we have sort of a higher level look at what you're doing across the different spectrums? Uh, yes, no, I you know what I did have this thought um, about you know. I see a lot of this these days. Branding is such a, I, I'm glad you're consulting a quantum physicist and looking at it and cross comparing different uh, religious and psychological philosophical backgrounds. I, I, I know that's, that's what you've built into sentimentology. Uh, I also do see a lot of people out there that probably would call themselves dream architects or soul architects, or, um, Hey, I've even, uh, I'm I'm in the process of developing soulscapes uh, for people, okay. which is kind of related related to uh, using yeah. hypnosis as a way of tapping into people's visions for themselves. Their their inner, basically getting people to. The concept is, if your subconscious mind had a painting, what would that be? Um, and kind of leveraging. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Yeah, there's there's something there's something and I'm going, yeah, but this guy's already like really got me on that. Um, but that said, that said, or at least in a different direction with it, um, I do feel like there's a lot of vagueness in the holistic healing community. I feel like a lot of people could come up with things that are in the generative trance spectrum of things, shamanistic healing and and oh discover your inner mythological. I just hear a bunch of garbage a bunch of buzzwords put yeah i've got to agree i i i've got to admit i i totally agree with you there yeah one of the things i mean i don't personally like the word trance um i think the trance i think the word trance is a term that should be left in the history books on in the same way as the mind being in the brain uh these ideas are back from medicine sort of first coming forward in biology and there is so much science now backing the fact that the mind does not reside in the brain. Mm. They, people have had experiences while they've been wired up to um, scanning equipment where their brain has gone almost completely silent. Mm. And they're having really wild experiences. And the term nowadays that is being brought forward by the more forward-thinking physicists and biologists is... Uh, post-materialistic brain uh, mind so it doesn't reside <laughs> wow. in the brain it resides outside of it and the way i look at it the the, the easiest uh, analogy i could probably come up with is if you imagine your router at home that brings in the internet 
And from it brings it into that one little box. And from there, it splits it out into your PlayStation, your Xbox, your PC, your television. I think of the brain like that. It's like a router. Rather than it creating all the thoughts, the thoughts are out there in your post-materialistic mind. Yeah. But your brain is acting like a router to bring them in to your body and send those experiences where they're needed, to your hand, to your foot, to your heart, to your lungs. Um, so, so it's more like the brain is just more like a, a modem or a router to interpret and direct the signals where they need to go. But the actual mind is a much bigger uh, entity, if you like. So yeah. when, okay. you, when you class it, sorry, when you class the word trance, this goes into that way of thinking that you're altering the mind state. Mm. Whereas I like mm -hmm. to think of it more as when we work at those levels, we are leaving the router, the brain, and working in the bigger scope of the mind. Mm. Wow. So rather than, rather than us being in the house working on the equipment in the house, we're suddenly working on the wires out in the street or your central internet uh exchange I, I don't know how it works in america but we're, yeah. we're we're expanding out to those levels where we have much bigger access to much more information much more experiences and the like like that yeah what do you think is uh it, it sounds very magical sentimentology uh it's 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 a term that is uh, was coined by. What's the breakdown of that word? Let's start there. Yeah, um, I coined it uh, with the help of some of the team just to, to bring the words together. But sano means to restore or make whole. Mm -hmm. Ment the mind, and ology the study and research of. So mm -hmm. it's basically the study of research of repairing, restoring, and bringing together the mind. Hmm. What do you, do you your is your default position that the mind is already whole and just needs to be uh, yeah what is your stance on in terms of oh this mental illness means that person's broken and we you know what no, I mean nobody's ever broken okay um a lot of issues are down to them not paying attention or listening let's say for example chronic pain that's what we started off with mm -hmm. um if somebody has pain and there is no medical cause. The pain is a message that's there for them to pay attention to, and they're not paying attention to it. They're not listening. Hmm. So as soon as they do, and this is, this is basically how we resolve it, as soon as they pay attention to that message, listen to what it's telling them, then it's no longer needed, and the pain can disappear and be gone for good. Hmm. If we're talking anxiety, uh, any other mental illness, uh, I put a lot of it down to uh, this does come into the function of the brain, but in our amygdala, we have lots and lots of unfinished business. Now, as a hypnotherapist, you'll be familiar with the term of nested loops. Mm -hmm. um, nested loops work because the brain hates unfinished business. It needs to pay attention until it's done. Now, for our entire lives, there's lots of things that are unfinished business. Mm -hmm. as, a, as a child, we might have seen our parents arguing, and then the parents sent us to bed while they're still arguing. That's unfinished business. A soldier going to war comes back from war generally more often than not the war's still going on mm. unfinished business there's so and even tiny little things a crossword with a friend 
a conversation that wasn't finished. These all get stored in the amygdala, heightening its sense of alertness, which increases that sense of danger and perception of what's going on. Plus, you've got anxiety and other issues going on. So one of, one of the elements of what we do, uh, one of the programs which we call, in its whole, we call it the Resolute Pact, mm. but it's split into three, and one of them's conclusions, and that is about going through everything stored in the mind that's unfinished business and allowing the mind to create a positive conclusion to everything so that it can be released. Hmm. And this is all done in the dream state. They will dream themselves in that place, whatever happened, and they will finish it, which means they're no longer storing it. So we're, we're closing the nested loops of life. Yeah. Oh, I love that phrase. I've never used that one. Closing the nested, closing loops, the nested of loops, of loops of life. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, my mission on this show is to just keep opening loops in people's minds, but more curiosity loops than, than yeah. uh, the negative. That I mean, look, if I... I've talked about my story many times on this show, and I say if you do not address loops that are open in day-to-day life, uh, you're not going to be able to do things like start a podcast or your passion project or your business. Uh, that's personally what I've dealt with. But but this is, this is a, a very different level of it because you're also talking to the ability for a person in this dream state to be able to access all those things. And that's always where I wonder, Martin, you see the, um, I've, I've never had this happen to me when I've gone through the process, but I've seen trainers, hypnotherapists do processes where they say, and now you're going to go through every memory of your life where it was negative and you have this new understanding and you're going to bring that understanding. And I'm going, really, are they able to get to every single one in that moment, even if they're in the most profound trance state uh, is is that actually what's this person's flashing all the moments in their life quickly and able to quickly reframe them under the circumstance i mean do you have understanding of what's going on and if they're not able to do it why are you able to okay first of all when when we're working in these other states of uh within the sentimentology time does cease to exist mm-hmm. we uh i always uh i put all of my trainees through every protocol that we do so that they've experienced first. And I was, I was a guinea pig for everything. Uh, I've tested everything on myself first. And I usually leave them for about 30 seconds in a certain state. And then at the end, ask them how long they were there. And it's usually 10 minutes, half an hour, an hour. No, you were there 30 seconds. So what you can do in that time is phenomenal. Wow. And what comes up because we're working at such a, open stay of outside of the brain if you like the moments just fly through but they come through so fast in the same your average dream at night only lasts a few seconds mm-hmm. even though you experience it as hours yes i remember when i when i first wrote conclusions and i went through it myself i brought up some really dull things that i'd never even think about these days when i was six years old i stole a twix from somebody a chocolate bar from a friend and I never admitted it that came up I hadn't thought about that since I was six um burning ants with a magnifying glass when I was sort of seven or eight came up I felt terrible for that after doing that um all sorts of little tiny things that you would really not expect to even 
remember anymore. Is that consistent across all the people that go through this, that things that they they're able to experience all these things? Or is it ever just, yeah, I, I can't tell you exactly what happened, but I know it worked. Yeah, not everybody remembers everything within the states that we go to. And, and we mm-hmm. do ensure that, that our, our last command is that when they come back, they only remember what's safe for them to remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, because obviously they could go through some traumatic experiences and we don't want them to bring those back to think about. Uh, and some people just aren't prepared to remember. Mm-hmm. But they know things have happened. They know the feeling when they come back and a lot of them don't even want to come back off the time. They, they're just like, I want to go back there. I love it. There. Wow. Where is it you're taking them? This is amazing. To the whole of their existence. What? <laughs> what does that even mean? That is, uh, I mean, it's such, that's a hypnotic thing. Whatever you just said, definitely. Uh, wow. What in the world? The whole of their existence. Um, and you believe Every person's mind knows where that is. Yes. Um, everybody has that full scope of consciousness that they can access. And everybody I've ever worked with has, has had some level of experience, even when it's just been a short one. Um, because it is the natural state. It is the base state. It's the state beyond this physical life that we're living now. It, it is the root state. And why not go? It's like going home. Yeah. And you're always going to be more comfortable. <laughs> uh, I am. I'm so intrigued by this sentimentology, Martin. <laughs> you, you, you are hooking me hard. I mean, I, this is this is all very interesting. OK, so let's talk a little bit then about the techniques behind it, because, um, you know, you you mentioned talking to this person live, uh, imagining uh, they, they see a whale. You're you're talking about opening doors. Is there something that if you were to break it down, at least at, at like a high level theoretical place, um, what is it that is? Are you create? Are you speaking? everyday language and just giving them instructions so they have permission to do something? Are you using a, a special language litter with suggestions like hypnotic language to get them there? Uh, because if you aren't, why isn't it just the same thing as a guided visualization? I mean, I could say to somebody, okay, close your eyes right now and open the door to your subconscious mind and play with them in that space, but it might not be as impactful unless you're actually putting specific ritualistic things and practices in your body language and hypnotic language in there. So yeah, what, how would you define okay. what it is you're doing? We're going to take this slightly more esoteric here because it's, um, I firmly believe the words don't matter. Uh, what we're actually saying is irrelevant. Hmm. Uh, the most important parts are your intent. Hmm. What are you there to do? That is brought across. I mean, I've worked with people that are deaf and I've done this in front of a doctor. I had a patient that was completely deaf and they still responded to me with their eyes closed. They responded to everything I said, even though they couldn't hear me. I've worked and some of my team will will back me on this. We've worked with people that don't even speak English. Uh, We've worked in like with with people that speak foreign language and they've still had the same experiences. 
Now, if we're looking at, uh, we've actually even got practitioners that are specializing in doing this on animals, uh, working wow. with their own animals. Uh, I believe, I don't know the facts of it, but I believe one of our team is one of the first ever to successfully have a chinchilla operated on because normally they don't survive operations. And this chinchilla's had oh. its ear reattached, which normally it would just be not done. And it was completely successful when she puts it down to our work. Um, when you think about the post-materialistic mind, a mind that exists outside of our body, when you're working with intent, with confidence, with belief, with faith, um, you've got to throw that word in, um, you are also working at a post-materialistic mind level. Hmm. So you're almost communicating, although you're using your words, your words are just a tool to help. You are communicating at that level of consciousness that their entire consciousness is listening to. And I would put this into the band of things like morphic fields where uh, birds can all turn at the same time without uh, speaking to each other. Cats don't talk to each other. Cats only learn to meow to speak to humans. Cats communicate with each other without words. And mm. I believe this is coming into those realms. Our intent is there. Uh, I'll make a confession. I can't work with clients. My mind's not the job. It doesn't matter what words I say. They don't work. Mm. I can't work with clients if I've got a hangover. I have to be clear-minded and straight. And we've seen this in training. When I've got distracted, the person that I'm helping through the experience has also been distracted to the point of they pick up on my thoughts. So one person, for example, one person was uh, in the middle of a forest having their experience and somebody sent me a text about holiday to Egypt, which I read. Totally unprofessional, I know. <laughs> and this person that was experiencing it went, um, oh, the trees have disappeared. I'm in the pyramids now. Now she didn't know I got a text about Egypt. Oh, but suddenly the pyramids okay. appeared. Wow. And this was, that, this was live in front of I think there was about 20 people on the training that day. So it's, what is your intent? What is your purpose for doing what you're doing? And you could question guided visualization, yeah. Although guided visualization, you're guiding them through, whereas with what we're doing, we are letting them guide themselves. Hmm. We're just giving the intent to have the experience to resolve whatever needs to be resolved. That is a great, really great answer uh, for for me because it inspires more questions. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I wonder then, are you? Uh, Let me just put another question to you. Two two yeah, sure, um, yeah. two people trained as a therapist or not a hypnotist, they could both do exactly the same actions to try and put somebody sleep, sort of thing. One will succeed, one won't. Why? I think intent is absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, I do. Yeah. Um, definitely, definitely the training I had suggested that completely. Um, yeah. Huh. It makes me wonder how much of this is intuitive based. I mean, I, well, Martin, would you say you, you are, or were a psychic at any point in your life do you have would you describe yourself as an intuitive okay we, we could go into all sorts of uh, paths here 
the the new theories that I, I just mentioned about the uh, the the fourth, fifth, and sixth dimension actually answer why people can be psychic. Mm. Now, I'm not going to say I'm psychic or not because it means something different to other people. Uh, but again, on a training experience, I was in the corner setting up a laptop because I was using the screen at the time, and somebody came through the door. There was other people already in the room, and I swear blind that this lady said, I hope he can sort my knee out. So I turned around and went, I'll sort it at lunchtime. I'll get you out of that pain. And she looked at me going out, what? What are you on about? And she swears blind and so does everybody else in the room. She didn't say a word. She did have pain in her knee and she was thinking, can he sort it? But she didn't say it. And again, that was in front of a whole crowd of people. <laughs> Some people would teach courses just on how to be open to that. Do you think sentimentality? I don't believe it's psychic abilities. I think it's just in the same purpose of giving intent out, you're mm. expecting intent back. I don't believe it's uh, in, in the way people say mediumship or psychicness or anything like that. I think it's just accessing that post-materialistic mind. Do you think people come out of your trainings with what others would describe as more psychic abilities? They are more intuitive. They are more able to use their intent and they do pick up on their clients more. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to look that's Oh, that's a politician's answer that, isn't it? It really um, is. <laughs> this man is saying he's psychic and he could make you psychic too. Let's, let's be honest. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, I, I know you wouldn't want to say such things because that does, again, puts it in a different reality tunnel. It puts it in a different framework and a construction of how we view those things. Uh, but that said, I can't imagine training with you wouldn't have some magical element to it. I would say, and I'm sure they'd all agree, out of the 329 people I've trained now, I would say every one of them has had some sort of change within, uh, especially the newer ones, because we've gone so much deeper now. We've gone from one day training to four days training to two weeks. Now we're on 15 days. Uh, and they're hard days. They're intense days. These people do come out changed. <laughs> and I would like to think they'd all agree that. <laughs> I can't speak for them, but I know that's the feedback that I get. Yeah. This is really a, a fascinating paradigm that you're bringing to healing and healing arts in general. Uh, okay, so so back to tapping into that, um, the mind outside of the mind. Uh, is it, are you have the intent, is that all, I mean, look, even before we, we started recording, you said, Greg, you know, look, I don't really, <laughs> or you, you, you don't necessarily have like your stock answers for things you didn't say you prepared you know bullet points and you wanted you didn't send me questions to ask you before like you're following your intuition and intent uh is that similar when you're working with people do images just come to you and you follow that path or do you have set pathways that you then just pull up like oh yeah this person the door thing is coming to me so we're gonna yeah, go that you'll way. see um if you ever join my training and, and this is something that comes out a lot in training i've been asked about before uh and one specific part of the training is to help people with this i trust my consciousness completely hmm. Hmm. so when i'm working with a client when i'm talking to you here 
when I'm training, I'm not thinking about anything in particular. Uh, I'm not wow. even, this, this sounds, I, I don't know how this comes across the way I'm going to say this, but I don't really care because I'm trusting my unconscious or my consciousness. Yeah. But when I'm asked a question, I don't even think of the answer. The answer just comes out of my mouth. Mm. It almost, <laughs> yeah, there's all sorts of things about that. And they think before you speak, but that's one thing I never do. I do not think before I speak <laughs> because I trust my mind. Yeah. Um, it's always done me well. And I often don't remember what I've done with a client because consciously I'm not thinking about it. Um, I'll have to listen back to this recording to know everything we've spoken about tonight. <laughs> because again, yeah. I'm just allowing my words to come out in response to what you're saying. And I trust that it's going to come out with the answer. It hasn't failed me yet. I think that's great. I want to I want to give you the devil's advocate question that's come up to my mind, which is for the people who have been told, okay, for me, who's been told, Greg, you should probably not say everything that's off the top of your head when you talk. Um, now, look, on one level, I would say, yeah, sure. But also, what kind of world do I want to live in where I'm not the fullest expression of myself? So on one level, philosophically, I challenge that. But Talk to me. What is the answer for that for people out there who aren't necessarily when they say things, they might get in trouble for them? Um, okay, why would you say it's a great question, actually? And yeah, it's one I've never been asked, but I'm, I can get the answer straight away. It's down to what is your purpose in life? Hmm. And I've gone through life in so much as possible to give people good experiences, to not harm, not hurt, not judge, not question, to accept people for who they are. So if that is your character, let's say, and, and character is another level to programming, if it's your, uh, I look at character as your nature and your programming as your nurture, but if your character is to be the sort of person to just be, just be, then you're not going to say anything that's going to hurt people because it's not there to come out. Hmm. So I, I can trust my mind. I mean, it's, it's filter is sometimes a bit inappropriate. I have <laughs> right. come out with stuff on training. That's completely inappropriate to say at the time. Um, it, it can be a bit naughty. My mind with, with its innuendos and stuff, but only when it's right to do that. Yeah. And even with clients, and, and some people might diss me for this, but with clients, I have been known to swear at them, to be horrible to them, because I know they've needed that as that shock to say, will you bloody listen to me? But it's only when it's appropriate, and I trust my mind to do it when it's appropriate, because I have no intent to harm or judge or anything like that. Nothing bad's going to come out. And you're absolutely certain that they're not walking away. Like, this is the thing I don't want for you, Martin Rothery. I don't want to <laughs> the sentimentology thing to blow up and become really successful. Then somebody later brings up the tape recording. And when you were talking to a trauma victim and saying, you are just an effing victim. Get, like this, what happened to Tony? Oh, no, no, I wouldn't say that. Um, this is a conversation that's come up recently in one of our groups. Tony uh, Robbins, this has happened to quite a bit in recent years. Yeah. I'm not one of these that says things like, well, you can't 
have other people if you don't love yourself because I think that's damaging. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Part of me agrees with it, but for other reasons. But if you've got somebody that's having a really shit life and then you turn around and sorry, am I allowed to swear on this? Naughty mind there, see what I mean? Um, <laughs> if you've got somebody that's having a really bad time and as a therapist, you turn around and say, it's because you don't love yourself. Well, you're blaming them. Yes. That is not going to help the situation. And it's yeah. the same with the trauma victim. Occasionally, yes, they might be victims. But then there's the question of why are they victims? Hmm. There's a cause for them to be a victim. Now, if you're a good therapist, your job's to uncover that cause, not accuse them of being a victim, but uncover why they're a victim hmm. and reverse that process so that they're no longer a victim. So it's not a, you don't accuse them, this is accusing and judging. We don't do that. Uh, the worst I'd say is if, if I'm talking to the mind and I ask it to do something and then it messes about or doesn't do it, I might turn around and say, for sake, you've agreed to do this, just do it. Because yeah. usually when that's happening, their conscious mind's getting in the way. Yes. The question whether this is a bit of a shock induction. Their, their conscious mind's getting in the way. So as soon as you come out with that outburst, and it's not personal, it's just an expression of frustration, their conscience is like, what did he just say? And suddenly the rest of the mind comes forward and does what it's supposed to be doing. Interesting. So it's never an insult. I, I never insult people. I never judge them for what they're doing. But I might just say the odd curse or something like that in frustration. Yeah. But it's always active. It's never... On, pur- on purpose. It's done on purpose. It's never an ex- uh Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Do you think that there was a period of time where hypnotists and a spe- I mean, I blame Tony Robbins for this. I, <laughs> I wonder if Tony knew even by I, I, I first of all, he has allegations against him right now for sexual assault. So that's, you know, that's one aspect of this that always plays into it. But sometimes I wonder if creative therapists, there was the provocative therapist uh, movement uh, and uh, Frank Fairley and all that stuff. Sometimes I wonder if they know what they're doing, or at least they give themselves the excuse. They definitely do. Some of these guys give the excuse of, yes, I'm going to call a rape victim a victim and tell them to get over it because it's the only only thing that's going to then open the door for other suggestions to get in. Um, do, do we give Tony Robbins that much credit? I don't, I don't feel like we should, but I wonder what your thoughts are. He might not be aware of that consciously, but again, we're back to what we do at the deeper levels. Um, when you're driving your car, I presume you drive. When you're driving, do you think, oh, I must change gear now. I must move that pedal. I must do this. I must move an inch across the road because I'm too far. You don't Mm. think about any of those things. They just happen naturally. And if somebody like Tony Robbins is in the moment, his own unconscious might come forward, as mine often does, and say something that is going to steer them in that way. But it's going to be based on what he's learned and what he believes. And I I don't believe people like that do it for any ill intent or maliciousness but in the moment they might just feel it's what they need and it's their belief Mm. um doctors do it all the time when they say oh you're going to be in pain for the rest of your life or that must really hurt 
even now the vaccination, the amount of nurses giving the vaccination say, you're going to feel a sharp pinch. Right. Oh, let's line that up so that people are going to feel it, whether <laughs> it's there or not. Yes, exactly. Um, so it's, and, and this is one of the, one of the things with sanitology is that very careful. We don't make any suggestions like that. Hmm. We, we don't have that influence on somebody because we want them to, everybody has their own answers inside. So we want them to find those answers for themselves. When they get the answers themselves, it's going to be millions of times more powerful than somebody else telling them. Yeah. I think Einstein would have really blasted out his theory of relativity if somebody had given it to him. But because it came out of his own mind, right? he went with it. <laughs> let's um let me then let's get into some distinctions some more distinctions here what do you think is the difference between what you're describing which is sounds i mean is it eyes open when you work with people or do you have them close their eyes some open? stuff they can have their eyes open it's usually better with their eyes closed because they can obviously see things they're yeah. not being distracted by um but i've had people whose eyes have come open midway and they've still not seen anything hmm. mm-hmm. uh through their eyes so it is eyes closed generally just a better experience yeah yeah okay so then what you're saying is i i want to make the distinction between what you're saying which is them using their own minds to take them to the dream state the place they want to be and then resolving the issues versus milton erickson and more of this indirect hypnosis style that is saying Well, you take them in the trance and then you also, you kind of give them suggestions and then have them fill in the blanks using resource states that their unconscious knows better than they do. What's the difference between what you're doing? Uh, See, with Milton Erickson, there was, like you say, indirect, a lot of storytelling and stuff like that. Yeah. It still relies on the client being in the moment and actually picturing the same as what you're trying to get across, mm, mm-hmm. which can be questionable. I mean, you, you, you live in the city. I presume you live in the city. Yeah. I live in Brooklyn. Um, so if I tell you a story about living in the middle of the Sahara desert, it's not going to be a great visualization for you. because You've not done it. <laughs> right. Right. Whereas if I leave it open to you, well, you're going to experience whatever you're going to create. So the way I turn on the training is a suggestion that comes from within is a billion times more powerful than any suggestion that is given in its first place. Hmm. Uh, one of the things I bring this up on and see, we, one of the things we use in the deeper stuff is the idea of symbols. And we all have our generic idea of symbols. If I show you a cross, you're going to think of Christianity. Mm-hmm. But if you show somebody from Rome a cross uh, from 2,000 years ago, they're going to see a symbol of torture and terror Hmm. because in symbols, we see what we're told to see, but that's only at the conscious and the unconscious level. It doesn't span the whole of consciousness. Whereas I'm more, when I work with symbols, I get people to create their own symbols and because they're creating those symbols, it works for them in a much more powerful way. It's personal. They've created it. It means more than what a symbol that's forced upon them means. Wow. So so this would be the difference between sort of guided and filling the gaps to write your own script. Yeah. And 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 it's really leaving this 
and already they're saying, you know, Mil Ericksonian hypnosis is leaving it up to them, their mind to give them the resources that they need in order to resolve the issue. In a way, how much are you really trusting? I mean, it sounds like you're really trusting the person's own mind to get them to the place they need to go. Yeah. In a nutshell, yes. Um, because <laughs> yeah. we're working at a much deeper level, because we're working with the intent of going across the whole of consciousness, there is very little ego in place. There's very little desire, uh, pity, all of the negative things. If, if we talk about vibration for a moment, uh, something that a lot of people talk about, I'm a bit vague with vibration because law of attraction would say, if you want money, you have to vibrate at the frequency of money. What the hell yeah. is that? <laughs> what is the frequency of money? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask you about law of attraction. Than that, and it's what I call a reality vibration. Oh, which I've what's got that? A long, I've got a long formula that you work out. This is for, um, this is the deeper stuff of manipulation of reality. But there's a reality frequency that is a formula based on probabilities, belief, faith, intent. Uh, there's, there's, 12 form, there's 12 elements which you put together to form your relative, sorry, your reality frequency. Uh, this, this is in the, um, it's what I've termed the general, the general theory of relative reality. Yeah, kind of thing. <laughs> it's, it's a mouthful because it's, it's quite a new, new thing we're doing. But when you, when you go into those sort of elements, because we're working across the whole of consciousness, the general way consciousness likes to be is at the higher frequency levels where mm. there's more energy. So this is the elements of love, the elements of joy, of being, rather than the negative elements of fear, anger, mm. uh, desire. There's a big difference between want and need. Just wanting something is a higher vibration than needing something because needing it has the negative connotation, which makes it a low vibration. So these sort of things need differentiating out. So when we're working at those levels of consciousness that, that we go to, everything tends to be much more positive. There, there is no need for pity or guilt or anything to cause the negative ways and generally we're all striving to be happy does anybody really deep down want to be feeling that crap hmm. feeling anxious our ultimate desire at the deeper levels in my eyes is happiness and this is what i say to people Every, everyone gets these clients that say well there's something but i don't know what it is or you say, What's, what, what outcome do you want from this? I don't really know. And the ultimate is, okay, let's just go for one, to be happy. Because hmm. being happy is all-encompassing. It covers the whole scale. And how does it work to not remain vague for the person? I mean, it seems, certainly if you were taking a marketing course on how to be a healer, they would not say, uh, yeah, I'm the happy hypnotist. I just make you happy. Um, someone give that advice, but it's not a great one to follow. Um, what makes it not a vague result when you're working with people? Because generally people have got a specific outcome. People will come with pain or P uh, PTSD or anxiety. Um, 
But then there is the other side of it where people just want clarity and focus for the future or um, they, they haven't got an idea quite right and they need a vision forward or things like that. And it's all there. Hmm. And it's just opening up that mind to allow it through. Do you always speak to people with um, negative conditions first that need to be treated? Or could someone come to a sentimentologist and say, hey, look, I just need to find my life purpose. The one of, okay, this, this could be classed as a slightly negative element of sentimentology because when somebody comes to us, because of its free flowing nature, they don't always resolve what they think they're going to resolve. Hmm. Because mm -hmm. the unconscious mind or the, the consciousness will decide that something's more important. And we trust that process because it needs to happen. But then on the other side of it, we understand that one time is not a factor. And two, consciousness is more powerful than we could ever give it credit for. So mm -hmm. when I see a client, I don't see them for one issue. And then another session, another issue, another session, another issue. I deal with everything during that first one. So I've, I've had people for an hour session where we've done gambling, pain, weight issues, um, what else did you have? Anxiety, all within the same thing. And we just run it one after the other, unconscious mind. You've got all of this to deal with. Let's go and do the whole lot. Wow. Because it can. That that is so that is so different than what hypnotherapists are told. They're told you get different tracks. You get it. Sometimes you might be lucky enough to knock off one of the conditions by hitting one of the other stronger symptom of the thing. But this notion that consciousness is so powerful—it's such a uh, it. it there are laws to it. It is. You you mentioned faith. You said that word earlier. Putting faith in it in a way that it can hit all of those things. Um, I, I think that's going to be your hardest selling point. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, I, in terms of somebody seeking someone out and saying, yeah, but this all sounds very, how do I know? If someone is coming across a website like yours and looking for a therapist that is trained in sentimentology, how do they know for sure that this is going to work for them? Personally, for me, I guarantee everything I do. Um, if somebody comes to me as a client, I don't take any money up front. I don't take any money until they're happy with what we've done. Uh, now so they've got that back in. Yeah, I've, I'm happy to do that. Uh, that's my confidence in what I do. Uh, now, obviously, I can't say that for other people I've trained. They all run their own businesses. But it is literally word of mouth going around. It, it's literally the stories going out. Um, as far as I'm aware, and somebody's going to correct me, I know. Um, but the rather extreme uh, version of morning sickness, and I can never say it, gravitar something or other. Um, as far as I'm aware, nobody's ever been able to deal with that. And there is uh, a woman that, uh, sorry, woman, I hate that term, a lady that I work with, she, she's a great PR um, promoter. Uh, she used to be an actress and she's pregnant at the moment and she suffered with it horrendously. She was in hospital uh, on a drip, losing weight, fearing for a baby. And I worked with her, had three short sessions, purely because I hadn't got something quite right on the first two. And she's not had a case of this morning sickness since. And there's hmm. a YouTube video of her talking about it. 
and saying, this is amazing. I cannot believe it. How quick are these sessions typically? Anything from 10, 20 minutes through to, I mean, if we're, do, if we're dealing with PTSD or addictions, then right. we're talking four or five sessions. But typically, I, I would say well under an hour. Wow. And that's with a good chat. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's fast. It's fast and effective. And, and it is literally just word spreading. Uh, I can't sort of prove anything. Who can? We can't even prove hypnosis exists in the first place. Um, <laughs> yeah. All I can all I can give is the testimonies of thousands of people across the team, and all the trainings, and my personal guarantee that I don't give up. And if I yeah. can't help you, I'll find a way to help you. Isn't that in a way? Uh, I know I I had uh, Jonathan Royal on the show, who I know is oh uh, yes, I know Jonathan. Yeah, yeah, I know. And he's a big fan of your work. And uh, one of the things that he talked about is, and he comes from a framework that is very specifically that there's no such thing as hypnosis. It's all suggestion, all this stuff. Um, He definitely talks about this. And I've heard tons of, he was the first person I heard. And one of the early people I, whose courses I looked at, um, who said, well, look, there is a prestige factor to all this that can help. And if you are charging higher end fees then the person's going to be have more of a desire to change and it's just going to work more and what you're saying is yeah but i don't even do that unless they have a result um that's supposed to be super powerful is it i mean uh, does prestige or expectation play any role in this whatsoever here we, we we've got um i think we've got two sides of the same coin here because obviously somebody doesn't want to pay for something and not work so they could make it work hmm. then if you've got somebody coming across who's obviously successful enough to train people and they're saying well what have you got to lose don't, work, don't pay me then suddenly there's another angle going on there in the mind of well if he's that confident it must work hmm. so you you can question yeah. sort of, is it is it two sides of the same coin right. um that i've got the confidence and, th- and this is the first thing a lot of um, clients will say to me, wow, that is a bold statement. Are you that confident? Especially for the more serious cases. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'm willing to put my time in if you are. And then pay me at the end. That is that is very different than the mainstream marketing advice you hear for from hypnotists. Uh, I had to go down this route because of what we do, because it's sentimentology and sort of nobody's heard of it, especially um, sort of going into the things that doctors say you can't help with. If somebody was to turn around and say, well, come and pay me £150, £250, and I'll work for you, and it might work, you're not going to cough that money up. Whereas if somebody's going to turn around and say, well, I'll help you, and if I don't, don't pay me, then it, it's, it's going to be more accepted. Yeah, it certainly makes me buy into it more than, because that's always, yeah, everybody says, follow the money. Doesn't matter if I've had a conspiracy theorist on this show. Doesn't matter if I've had someone that's in UFOs and saying, yeah, but look how many courses they're selling about extraterrestrial life. Um, at the end of the day, if money is there, then it it just slightly it makes you skept- more skeptical. But yeah. you are saying, hey, look, no, 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 this is a thing. And I'm not even I will not charge unless uh, I 
we get results. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. That is pretty groundbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that must make some hypnotist mad. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I do state this during the training and I'm, I'm sure some people think the other way, but my counter question would be if a hypnotist, if a hypnotist or any therapist thinks they're good, then what's their issue with offering that? Because surely they're going to be confident enough to get paid anyway. Mm, good point. So why, why have the fear of offering that if you think you're good? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, okay, this whole sentimentology, I mean, I'm going down this rabbit hole. It's so fascinating. Um, it, it, talk to me about what is, yeah, when you are training people that have come from more of a formal hypnosis background, uh, what is the learning curve for them? I mean, are there, <laughs> yeah, how does, that, how does that work exactly? Uh, there's a lot of unlearning. Uh, to be honest, but I think there is in in general right. within it. I've I've actually had to slow my training down from. Uh, I was doing it in a block of three weeks, and I've now slowed it down to one day per week, because when you make such an impact on the belief system, on the mind, on the, on the learning and the programming processes, it can have detrimental effects on the body. And I was finding people uh, were becoming ill. Because mm. we were changing so much about them, uh, we, we were having to have breaks where people were just too exhausted or they were, they were starting to feel very ill where everything bad was coming out and that. Especially with the fact that everybody goes through every single protocol. And, and we're talking about 17 now at least. Because everybody on the training goes through every single one of them to experience them. Um, it, it was draining people. So we've slowed it down now, but one of the things about the training is it is very much i do have some wild and wonderful theories and ideas but when you train with me you take what you need from it and if it doesn't fit what i'm saying just ignore it hmm. um and and from that aspect i mean there's elements where we talk on spiritual levels and stuff like that but we've got devout christians we've got devout muslims we've got all different religions on the group and none of them are offended by what i do because it's very much, this is my belief, this is my opinion. You've got yours, and I'm not here to question whether you're right or wrong or I'm right or wrong. I'm just giving you my opinion. Take the processes that you can agree with and work with those. If something doesn't fit your belief system, don't worry about it. Yeah, I'm looking at this uh, this prospectus you have for it, and it points to, I love on the, the uh, I think it's the third page where it points to, the the master um i mean you're not <laughs> do people walk out masters of sanimatology do they walk out masters of themselves uh you've got an old prospectus there uh, oh, is that old um at the moment we are looking at um when somebody trains they became a licensed sanimatologist and have a diploma in sanimatology i am looking at making sort of advanced master and higher courses um i guess what i'm asking <laughs> is do they become enlightened do people reach enlightenment working with you yes i would say so i mean section three of the training the the path to enlightenment is what it's called um and it is specifically giving 
not so much how to do something, but why. And it mm. talks, it, it's very esoteric. It talks about the seven laws of the universe, uh, which is from hermetic teachings. But then it actually goes in with practical experiences. So you can experience those laws and learn to manipulate and bend those laws for yourself and for your clients. So when people are experiencing those sort of things, it, it's very eye opening. Yeah. I was going to ask about the way this, uh, to go back to working with clients for a second, and th this definitely uh, applies to people in the training environment too. I know for myself, I've never, at least that I'm aware of, I've never experienced a deep somnambulistic hallucination. I've never had name amnesia. I've never experienced this kind of thing myself. And then then some people will come to you when you're operating under the guise of hypnosis and say, yeah, I'm a really bad subject. I can't experience this stuff. It just doesn't work on me. Um, what is the framework around that in Sanimentology's world? Okay. Can I just ask you a question first? Are you quite creative? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and I went to I school for that. acting training. I mean, oh, so so yeah, when people talk that. about visualizations and acting, I'm going, yeah, no. I, I know what it means, sort of. Yeah, um, I was, I, I would have predicted you would have said yes. That's why I asked that question. Okay. Within the seven laws, we, we have what's called uh, the law of gender. Hmm. And get out of your mind just, just for now, the idea of male and female, stuff like that. Right, right. Because this is across the whole of consciousness. And at the lower levels of, uh, I mean, at the physical realm, it's obvious whether you're male or female. Yeah, let's not go down that route. But we know <laughs> when we're born, let's say, we know that's a boy, that's a girl. Right. But we also have the masculine and feminine parts of the mind. And I refer to it as the me and the I. And most people operate from the me. The me is the feminine part. And it takes from outside and creates within. Whereas the masculine part of the I creates itself. So anybody that plagiarizes work, that copies stuff, that goes through life just being told what to do, they are more prominent working with the me. Although we have both, some people dominant, allow one to be more dominant than the other. Hmm. Whereas actors, writers, artists, people like that, they work more predominantly from the I. Hmm. So if you're working with somebody who works predominantly from the I, you would be working from your I as a therapist, your, your masculine part of your mind, to inflict your will upon theirs. Mm -hmm. But you're affecting their I. So it becomes a little bit more difficult. You have to work as equals rather than uh, coming from a place of authority. Uh, anybody that's influential, influences across the world, politicians, um, all, all, your, all your people that people look up to work predominantly from the eye and they communicate to the me of other people. Right. And these people that don't respond too well to therapy generally are quite creative in themselves. And it's my theory that they are more predominantly working from the masculine part of the mind, hmm. which has to create from itself. Now, this is where the beauty of sentimentology comes in, because what are we doing? We are asking the mind to create from within itself. 
Mm. So therefore, the masculine part of mind comes into its own mm. and allows that to happen. So, yes, absolutely. You, you would be just as affected as anyone else. Wow. And I, and you, so, so I'd be effective as a practitioner and as a client, as an experiencer of the phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. That is, that's a bold claims going on there. Yeah. I mean, and it doesn't sound like there's traditional uh, phenomenon happening. I mean, obviously in the dream world, you can do all sorts of things. And then when a hypnotist brings you on stage and says, all of a sudden, every time I say this person's name, uh, you're going to think they're standing there in front of you. I mean, that is a phenomena that is magical. Uh, are there, are there any of those things in sentimentology? It doesn't sound like there are. It's whether they create them. Um, it, not the for, glasses not for was pretty stuff. cool. Yeah, not for future stuff, but some of the things that we've had people in for, um, and I, I'll just talk about trainees more than anything, because obviously client clients privilege and stuff. Yeah, but I had one one trainee come in and feeling she felt okay, but she knew there was something not quite right, and we took her down into her session as a demonstration. And she met her dad who had died 20 years previously. Hmm. And she managed to deal with all the stuff that she felt she hadn't dealt with before. And she managed to tell him what she wanted to tell him. And she admitted afterwards she still had grief from 20 years ago. But going through this session, meeting him and talking to him and, and sorting stuff out, allowed that grief to be gone. So wow. it's unfinished business, close the loop. Um, so in the moment they experience what's going on and they do believe at the other time, whatever's going on, they are experiencing it. And I have had people that have just had good holidays. Uh, they workaholics and when they've gone into the session, they've just had a bloody good holiday Hmm. and that's what they needed. How does that feel like that? They were swimming. They were walking on the beach. They were doing all the different things that they would do on holiday. Some people come to you just for that. If they're overworked and stressed, we don't tell them what to do. Mm. Their mind decides what's best. When when people are first trained, some of them come back when they've seen clients, thinking they've not done a great job with their client because all their client's done is gone and sat on a riverbank somewhere mm. and just sat there and done nothing. And like, how do they feel afterwards? Oh, they said they felt great. Where's the problem then? That is all they needed. They needed mm. a bit of quiet time on the riverbank to relax. Yeah. So Marty, not, not all, a lot of the dreams or, or a lot of these sessions are really, really fun and interesting and interactive. That's what but I was going to say. That's what I like about this. This sounds that like my my creative male energy, I guess, um, could indulge in something that is very fun and and just a little less okay, now that I know they have this childhood pain, I need to regress them and go through this. That to me is the boring part of hypnosis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In in the lighter elements of it, I mean, there is some deeper stuff where there's a lot more ritual, but in in the lighter state, I mean, you don't even get a choice what you create. Um, It's what your mind will create that it knows you need to experience. So if you do need to just go and sit on a riverbank somewhere and relax, that's what's going to happen. Whereas if you need to go and meet somebody or find a letter from somebody or 
um, even kill somebody. We, we've had people commit murder and everything in their dreams because it's closure. Hmm. Uh, it doesn't make them a psychopath or anything. It's just what their mind has created to help them close whatever's going on. But your mind will create what you need in the moment. Yeah. So, so okay. You go to sanimentology.com. You check out this work. Someone signs up. They become a trainer, or or they become a they become a student. They become a practitioner. Um, you know, I've heard the criticism that if you're going to go out there and become someone in this space, you need to have a niche. You need to have the oh. specific results. But the thing hey, is, man. I'm yeah, yeah. Why do you think you don't have to? In this case, because it sounds like okay. you are. Providing- I'm not a great marketer. And okay, I understand enough. the marketing power of having a niche. But I don't like limiting myself. And most problems that people come to you with aren't what they think. Mm, mm-hmm. So when you niche in something, uh, it's good from a marketing point. You can say you're the best stop smoking person in the world or you're the best weight loss. But quite often you've got to deal with the other elements as well. So if you've done the best smoking training and somebody comes in and suddenly they break down because it's actually the driver behind the smoking is abuse they had as a kid. Yeah. Then, oh, shit, where do I go from here? Hmm. Um, And it's because we've, I mean, I suppose dream architecture is the niche. Uh, My local newspapers are calling me a dream guru. Hmm. Um, And I suppose that's a niche in itself but we're not limiting what we can do. We're expressing that this dream architecture can do anything. Or so far, we've not found anything it can't do. Let's put that one on the table. Oh, Um, wow. Okay. (laughs) Jeez, Martin, you keep... Okay, keep going. Yeah. (laughs) So it's... it's, (laughs) I suppose it's a niche in itself, but I'm not a fan of this going down. I can... I am the best at this. Why limit yourself? I know they do this, but Richard Branson is not an airline expert. Mm. He's not a record label expert. He's a brand across all of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know that's sort of looking at a much bigger picture. But no, I, I think you're right. It's not limiting. Um, so, so niche, no, I'm not a fan. That wasn't the actual question, though. What was the actual question? No, no, it was. It was if oh. there or why do people... How can people, I guess the, the, it, the second question is, well, then how do people, when they come to you, know that they're not just getting, you know, someone that got a hypnotherapy course and is doing an event where they do guided visualizations versus buying into the power of sanimentology? If I'm going to be confident, go out there and market myself as this person. Why, why this? Why me? Why now? Okay. This, this is another slight difference with the training as well. Um, I've got a quite a large training center. Our facilities are, are, are quite massive. Mm. Um, and obviously, I mean, I'm not looking at you on a little computer screen. I've got you on a two-meter screen uh, with all professional kit up. So I can essentially have two pe- 200 people on screen, another 100 in the room. So when somebody signs up to the training, they're not signing up for a training course. They're signing up for a lifetime membership where they can train as often as they like. Hmm. There's people that come on the training every time I run it because they enjoy it so much. Uh, Anything new that comes out, and we are evolving constantly, 
um, is there for them for free. Once somebody has signed up to the package, I don't want another penny off them. It's you're in, you're part of this team, take what you want from it. There are no limits. Ongoing support. We, we've got strict rules in the team. No money changes hands between the team. Hmm. So you've got permanent therapy. All team members work with each other. If somebody's feeling they need a bit of help, they've got a bit of anxiety, they've got a bit of pain, they just pop in the group, somebody else will help them for free. And it swings and roundabouts. So you're, you're signing up to a permanent therapy base, uh, permanent support, ongoing training, everything. That in itself is not something that you'll get most places. Um, And it is just the word of everybody else that's trained. Most people on the training have come because they know somebody else who's been on it. Hmm. And they've seen changes from there, all clients. So you're not concerned necessarily about the, the public needing to grasp exactly what it means. Uh, because you just think, hey, this is going to be all the rage. People are going to, people are just going to want sentimentology and they're going to have some idea of what <laughs> it is. Um, I, yeah, I guess I'm just uh, always thinking about how to make the intangible tangible for people at any level. But I also know that it's kind of hard with this because it seems that it could be so powerful. You wouldn't want to limit it and just say, this is a healing, uh, a mind healing therapy that, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. It's what is the marketing much, ad, the marketing um, advice of a sentimentologist? Yeah, as as a new trainee, they just go on the back of everything else, and and like you said right at the beginning, we we've had a breach of sixty two million in the last two weeks. Yeah, um, we're going to reach a tipping point. I think um, I'm I'm sort of aware of how things go. Um, one person hears, they tell two, two tell eight. And it goes on. And I think we're going to get to the point very soon. Uh, up until about a year ago, I had one person in the States trained. And now I've got 11 in America. Uh, obviously, in the UK, we've got uh, probably about 250 across elsewhere, Hong Kong, Thailand, New Zealand, Australia. They tell the odd people, which then tell more. And, and it, it just relies on that reaching that tipping point where you become a household name. Yeah. So then, oh, I've had hypnotherapy and it didn't overly work. There's that sentimentology. And I know for a fact that to be a sentimentologist, you have to do the full training. You have to be really experienced and okay with what you do. So let, let's try them. And it's it's building that reputation. Nobody's ever going to get a sentimentology um, qualification yeah. by paying £29 on the internet. So, it, so it's it's keeping the brand and uh, how to word it, um, just keeping it that it screams quality, that it, it screams effectiveness, and you know somebody who is who has that certificate is capable of doing what they say they can do. Yeah. So for someone right now that is looking to uh, resolve anything in their life um you know what is your and and they heard of the word sentimentology why would you tell them it is worth investigating this because it works (laughs) um i i I can come across my confidence um 
it is literally sort of go on and look at the testimonies, look what people have said in uh, on my Facebook page, on the Sundamentology public group, uh, and in the uh, business page. Uh, look at the reviews on the website. Just look at what people are talking about about it. Martin, and I know there's say, not a huge amount, but would you say hypnotherapy good. doesn't work and sanimentology does? Would you go that far? Hypnosis no. doesn't work. Okay, no, okay, I would never say that anything doesn't work. Uh, I don't. Uh, in fact, the the actual newest protocol, what I was on about earlier, the general um, theory of relative reality, says everything works if you believe it enough. Oh, everything man. whatsoever. Um, I believe hypnotherapy works. I believe Reiki works. I believe all these holistic therapies work because I think deep down they all do the same thing. Just for some of them, it's an unintentional. Mm. It, it's almost accidental working. In a way, is hypnosis under the umbrella of sanimentology? Is sanimentology just a higher level of understanding NLP versus hypnosis versus Reiki? Could it cover all of them? It could. One of the things we one of, one of the things that comes up in the training when we talk about the basics of instigating the dream state is we don't put beliefs, our beliefs, onto the client. And all your different uh, methodologies, if you like, of past life regression, regress to cause, future life regression, all these uh, energy healings, crystals, everything like that. If the client believes that's what they need, they will experience that within the session. Mm -hmm. But they will run it rather than us. Um, so hypnotherapy and sanimentology in the same boat is probably like saying our cats and dogs the mm. same they're mammals that's about as far as you can take it yeah <laughs> it, it, it's sort of it's different but it i believe it goes deeper um one of one of the team members who's doing a lot of group stuff ender describes it as uh hypnosis on acid hmm uh, another member described it as hypnotherapy's big brother. Hmm. And these aren't my words. These are from others. I like to steer away from the word hypnotherapy because of the negative connotations to so many groups, yeah. Um, yeah. both sort of through belief systems and through just it's a load of rubbish. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is Paul McKenna going to become a sentimentologist? That's up to him. I'd welcome him in if he if he wants to pay for the course. Uh, I would welcome <laughs> him. But um, honestly, no, I don't. I think he's I think he's good at what he does. I think he's got his feet where he needs them. Uh, I don't think it's his calling. But if he wanted to, I'd, I'd welcome him on board. Hmm. Is there covert sentimentology? Is there more of a conversational approach to it? Or does that even matter? No. Um, okay, per personal personal thoughts on that. Covert hypnosis even, um, and politicians do it, advertising companies do it, all the like do it. I don't I don't like it. Um, 
even a lot of non-covert uh, hypnosis, I think it's manipulation at its basic understanding of what manipulation is. And anything where you're doing something that the client doesn't want or doesn't hasn't asked for isn't right in my eyes. So no, uh, potentially it could be done. Uh, if if we could work with somebody who can't even hear and have them affected, then could we not do it in our head to somebody that's sat next to us? Hmm. But it's not a route I'd be willing to explore. Hmm. You have. I, I, think, I think it's wrong. I think it's rude. I think it's disrespectful, and it goes against nature. Yeah. You know the the only other thing that we didn't really cover too much that I'm curious about is. Uh, you bring in, and again, this is why I, I really wanted to have you on and break this down because you're talking about dream architecture, you're talking about esoteric traditions, you mentioned shamanic kind of healings, dreams in general. Uh, I mean, dream architecture is the word I just said, but in general, when you're talking in this dreamscape, it can be, I mean, people call it in the woo-woo field, They it, it can be a little hard for and abstract for the public to grasp. Uh, I think you've done a pretty good job here, actually, uh, breaking it down and in referencing research about the mind and consciousness. And so, so I commend you for that already. Thank you for not just being every other healer. Um, but what I was going to say is the law of attraction is so also in that category it's so vague everyone throws the secret out there uh, i've had some guests on this show that have talked about it and broken down their interpretations uh what makes your law of attraction not theirs uh i i go quite deep into that um there, there's two elements we've got midas which is the specific law of attraction protocol mm -hmm. uh manifest your dreams and succeed and then we've got the protocol called Travelers, which goes alongside the general theory of relative reality. Um, there's a lot of quantum theory and mechanics and thought in, uh, in my processes of law of attraction. My experience of law of attraction in itself has been phenomenal. Um, it always seems to work when I need it to, not when I need it to, when I'm not desperate, if you like. Hmm. Now, uh, are we talking like uh, I, I mean, what's the example in the secret? I need a parking space for my job and then the parking space shows up, that kind of thing. Or what do you mean? Well, again, my wife said to me this morning, because we're, we're doing a few things at home at the moment and I have focused a lot on the PR. So. I've not been focusing on advertising or anything. Mm -hmm. And there's a few purchases we want to make that, put it bluntly, I can't afford at the moment. But my daughter turned around and said, why are you worried? Because you know when you want to buy it, you're just going to have that money anyway. Hmm. And my wife turned around and agreed and said, it doesn't matter what you want. When it comes to you buying it, you've got that money. So why, why do you even think about it? And it's when I look back, it's always been that way. Um, Interesting. And, and the same with other stuff, because I don't focus on it too much, because I think focusing on it too much can also lead to you focusing on what it's like not having it. Hmm. Mm -hmm. But I've also got a question sort of 
and, and we're, we're going to go down some real science sort of areas here about the function of time for a start. Um, because we're still working on the basis of time being built around the second law of thermodynamics, mm-hmm. which has already been proven to be not accurate when we go into the quantum field, uh, when we look at Planck time and things like that. So on the basis that we, we have a consciousness that lives outside of our physical brain, that consciousness does not have mass. It is pure energy. And anything that's pure energy is not bound by speed limits of physical space. Energy can travel faster than the speed of light because mm. it has no mass. Um, when you look at things like quantum entanglement, where communication between two particles can exist across billions and billions of light years instantaneously, you've got to accept that something can go faster than time. So if consciousness is one such thing, then maybe lives outside of that expanse of time, which is created at the fourth dimension. So therefore, maybe it can go forward in the future and manipulate. Mm. Maybe when we go to memories in the past, we're not actually accessing memories. We're revisiting what happened in that reality. Oh, what? One of the, one of, wow. one of the exercises I ask people to do, and you can do it if you like here. Um, just close your eyes for a moment, Greg, and just um, think of yourself as a child on a bike. And just see yourself as a child on a bike, just for a second. Now, when you've done that, how did you see yourself? Did you see through your own eyes with your hands on the handlebars, or did you see you on the bike? I actually saw me on the bike. Okay. So it's already been established sort of amongst the popular fields of um, the brain that the unconscious mind has no imagination. It can't create hmm. from anything it hasn't seen. Now, you've never actually seen yourself on a bike. So how can you see yourself in your mind's eye? How can you disassociate and see yourself outside of yourself if you've never seen that? Hmm. So what if your unconscious mind is actually, or consciousness is actually traveling to that snapshot of time when that happened and viewing it from a different angle? <laughs> Just a thought to think about. And if that's the case, could we not do the same for the future? Because again, physics already says past, present, future, they're all, they're all sort of the same. Could our minds possibly go into the future and see an outcome? Work out how that outcome happens. And then when we exist now, that becomes our gut feeling, our intuition, our nudges, our feelings of, I should do this, hmm. which guides you to that future. Much deeper than that. I mean, our law of attraction program is quite, uh, quite an in-depth one. But then on the other side of this, at the quantum level, we've got to talk about reality. And can we change that hmm. by going outside of it? Because even, even phys- physicists will say that at different dimensions, every possible version of you exists. Every choice you've ever made, everything you've ever done is a version of you exists somewhere in an infinite span of space. Now, if your consciousness spreads across that, could you not go to a higher level and come back down to the one Hmm. where the change that you want to make has happened? Hmm. 
this this is really really deep thinking now and and there's all sorts of formulas and science behind it which is too much to talk about sort of in a in a brief podcast but it's worth thinking about yeah so this is not just think positively and it's more like no oh i don't like that um thinking positively will only get you far so far because to think positively is conscious effort this relies Mm. on your character as well because your your fail safe will be when you're too busy to think positively you will fall back on your character your nature and that is what will ultimately define ultimately define your future uh heraclitus said it um it's actually the logo on my big logo um anthropol demon no anthropol oh i can't remember the phrase ethos demon or something like that it basically says a man's character and this is from heraclitus a man's character will define his fate hmm. it doesn't matter what positive thinking you do because your character is going to override that interesting so when you say the law of attraction is it more that you know, say, for instance, I want to become the world's greatest podcaster or something like that. Uh, Are it, you doing the actions to become one? Mm, I mean, it looks to me like you are. I hope so. Um, have you got a future in plan that's not going to be detrimental if you become that world's best, uh, most popular podcaster? Hmm. Is it going to affect any other part of your life in a detrimental way? All these things have to be taken into account. Um, the example I use on my training is a man who's happily married with his family, but his law of attraction goals are to have a supercar and a mansion. Hmm. Now, if he doesn't factor his family in, then the fastest way to get that is to be without the family because you can put more focus on your work, your money doesn't get spent. So he's going to end up losing that. And this, yeah. is, the, the, this is the collateral damage of the law of attraction, if you like. Mm. Um, so you have to factor everything in and are you taking those actions is your actual future going to be positive if you reach those goals uh, this this comes into the program as um, whatever you're going through now if there is that possibility that the consciousness can travel in time how can you be sure that it's not already gone through every possible scenario that could have happened. And this is the best one to get you where you want to be. <laughs> that is a lot to weigh. Yeah. It, it goes very, very deep. My, my mind sort of dwells on these sort of questions. And it's like, do I need to be here right now? Yeah. For my goal in the future. And the hardships that I have had in the past, did I need them? Because looking back, yeah, I probably wouldn't be here if I hadn't had them. So is your mind always assessing what's going on and mm. looked at every other scenario already and found that they didn't work for you? This is the best possible one for you to be happy, which is. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And that's why happy. I don't I, I don't trust my sometimes I don't trust the the vision that the self-help book tells me to have. They say, you know, close your eyes and imagine where you want to be 10 years from now. See what you see, hear what you'd hear, all the hypnosis stuff uh you know feel it imagine you're there and i'm going okay uh i guess i'm imagining right now in a moment uh a scenario where i have a huge audience around me and i'm inspiring people and entertaining them that that image comes up frequently 
but I'm also yeah. going, that feels like I'm, how do I know that's actually where I want to be? I mean, it's a nice image or whatever, but I don't really, I don't have full buy-in. That's where it rhymes. So the rest of your life going to be like when that happens? Hmm. That's, that's the question. Are you ready for that? Are right. you prepared for that? Right. And when you, if you were to get to that moment, would you be happy? Hmm. And if I have the mismatch, i.e. the family, and I want the nice car in the mansion, and I'm not sure quite how to how to get there, um, does sentimentology help you resolve those? Yeah, one of one of the one of the factors in the formula for the uh, theory of uh, gen, uh, relative reality is the reason behind it. Hmm. Now, hmm. let's say you went for that. Why? Why would you like to be the greatest podcaster in history? Oh gosh! I mean, well, one it's of them. Easy question, is it? It is. I was going to say. I think it comes down to money. I think it got to be the okay, greatest. So yeah. let's take that. That's a great answer. Let's take that one. So money. So that's greed. Um, <laughs> I know. Money. I have but, a lot of egoic okay. reasons for things, but it's fine. But the need for money is only a conscious thing. Hmm. Of the higher levels of un the unconscious mind and the higher levels, money is not important. So therefore, your entire reason hasn't got harmony across your whole consciousness. Security. Now, if you were to turn around and say, instead, uh, I want to do it so that I can spread the word and help heal or help everybody feel good, mm. then that's going to carry across a higher level of consciousness, which is going to give you a more positive reason. Yeah. Which is going to increase the probability of it actually happening. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 true. That is a higher uh yeah, and the law of attraction is that you're you're causing things that are more high vibration to uh be around you to actually manifest. So when I'm just saying money, yeah, that's what you said before. What is the vibration of money? It's a good yeah. question. What is the vibration of money? What are people? I think some people think it's that. I think some people think, well, you're exchanging. I've heard someone on my show say, well, money is trust. Uh, this magic person, she she says. I'm oh, sorry, I don't trust the Bank of England. They got plenty <laughs> of money. That's a good point. Go. That's a good point. Do you yeah. actually trust anyone that you know that is very very rich? Because there's not many that I can hmm. think of. Some, but not many. Yeah, well, I guess there is a trust in some aspect of the rich. Now it's all corrupt. I was going to say, even Jeff Bezos. I guess you could say you trust. Amazon to get you the package on time. Therefore, that's why people are putting that much money into it. But I mean, I, yeah, I guess you're right overall, but there's still a corruption around it because this guy isn't giving any of his money back to society. It's just kind of like yeah. consume fees. And what about somebody that was born into money right. and they never really had to do a lot? They've had no experiences that are relative to our experiences. Does that mean hmm. trust? Right. So, so it's it's all right with with the law of attraction and secret. Just saying, focus on your end goal. But there, there is so much more to it. And I I do use the phrase the half wise hmm. because they work a lot of the time, but not for the reasons they think. Hmm. But because the intent is there, that's a that's a positive factor towards it working. But if you can do it with sort of more understanding 
of the laws of the universe and everything else, then you're going to be surely more effective. Yeah. Tell me this, Martin, before we wrap up, I mean, this has been so amazing. And again, I said before the interview, I want to study sentimentology after I want to study it even more and learn more of its ways. <laughs> um, you mentioned the tipping point. You mentioned right now, I'm, I'm catching you in a moment where it's really catching on. You, you've done uh, national shows. You've appeared on uh, in articles. I'm sure you're going to be on other podcasts or you've been on other podcasts. I mean, this is it's blowing up. But then you mentioned it's going to come to a tipping point. What happens if it does? I mean, what what are you prepared to do once everybody jumps onto this thing? Where does that bring you next? Uh, I can continue training. Uh, I will continue developing because another favorite quote of mine, and again, Heraclitus, is the only thing constant is change. And if change doesn't happen, things stagnate. Um, so it will continue developing and evolving. Hmm. Uh, other people, experienced people come in as trainees, and I've already got a couple of people who are going to be training. Um, so you're okay with it? Build? Yeah, I would like to see this globally as a recognized working practice for everybody. Yeah. It is amazing that it hits all the fields, too. I mean, we're, we're talking religion, spirituality, uh, philosophy to have a multidisciplinary approach that gets tangible results for people. Um, that seems to be something that is lacking in the world on a consistent, regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is where I like to see it go um, where it's accepted everywhere because it's where it's just a common, Oh, I'm going to go and see some, some mentologist today. Yeah. Uh, and, and sort of just hearing that phrase, it, I, I would like to see everybody uh, have knowledge of it and have access to one and as many people trained up as possible. There's there's 8 billion people in the world near enough. Um, there's plenty of clients to go around. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Through and through, you've given great answers. Even going to the principal's office, you had great answers back <laughs> then. You have great answers now. Uh, Martin Rothery, sentimentology.com. Everybody check it out. Check out his work. I know you have a Facebook group. We'll link to that for people to check it out as well. You have trainings ongoing. I see them all the time. Um, I, I'm definitely going to learn more about it. And also, even if you go to sanimentology.com and you want to experience it, uh, you can find a therapist. So, yeah, there's somebody out there doing it. Um, yeah, I, I am so grateful you came on and, and shared this with us. Oh, my pleasure, Greg. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited to see where you go next. Let's catch you before the tipping point, hopefully, <laughs> because I may never get you. Who knows? Who knows? You might be Tony Robbins next. I'm glad to hear him now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> awesome. Thank you again. Thank you. Martin Rothery of Sanomentology. You're going to start hearing that word a lot more from me. I'll tell you that because I am going to delve deep. Check it out. Train with Martin. Hey, Rodney McGilvery, I'd like to thank you for the theme music. Zero Boy, I'd like to thank you for the theme music before the theme music. And you, I'd like to thank for listening. Martin was really generous with his time. I, I, I loved all that stuff. Pinch me. 
he put me in a dream state. Okay, he won. Yeah, no. I, I loved it. Ugh. Brain spinning. I hope yours is too. Keep the loops open. Talk soon.